This is an ABC podcast. Sex, religion and politics have long been hot-button topics at work, but in 2021 we can now add another. Vaccinations. My name's Emily. I'm a musician. And the reason I'm not getting the COVID vaccine is, firstly, my risk of having a severe case of COVID is very low, as is the risk of death. I don't have any other health issues. So only one woman in my age bracket of 40 to 59 in Australia died. So to me, that just feels, you know, like, why would I be wanting to, to take a vaccine for something so negligible, I suppose? Just reading the information on a Pfizer and the AstraZeneca, it's just, there's too many question marks for me. They're not giving enough data. They don't have enough data to make it a convincing medicine for me to take. I think that's it. I just don't have the confidence that they know what's going to happen as a result of giving these vaccines to people. Hi, my name's Phil from um, Ambulance Victoria. I'm a paramedic working with the service. Um, I've seen uh, firsthand some of the impact of COVID. I really don't want to spread this virus um, myself. And I also have seen some of the effects with hospitals ramping and the health system under the pump. And also the impact of COVID on one of my colleagues, which has um, been quite detrimental to his health and his long-term health with the long COVID symptoms. My name's Francesca Davidson, and I work as an academic skills advisor in a university setting. I had some concerns about the vaccine because there'd been a lot of talk about the side effects and being cognizant of the fact that it's a new vaccine. I was a bit nervous about that particularly being on the younger end of the over 50s bracket. So I did a bit of research and I, I listened to Norman Swan's advice. And when it became clear that, you know, the risks from getting COVID were so much greater than the likelihood of anything happening due to the side effects, I decided to bite the bullet and head off to the Repat Hospital. I'm Lisa Leong, and as we heard, feelings and opinions about COVID vaccines vary widely. So today on This Working Life, how to talk about the jab without coming to blows. And CoronaCast host Dr Norman Swan just so happens to be here right now to start us off with the medical lay of the land. Norman, what level of vaccination coverage are we gunning for before things can return to business as usual in Australia? Probably 80%. 70% might get you there, but Israel's claiming they could open up now to, at about 60% and they're seeing a reduction in infections and almost no hospitalisation. So you know, they're claiming success at that. But Israel hasn't fully opened up the borders and they might see a different situation when they open up the borders. So I think they're being premature. And where are we now, Norman? Two or 3% of the population fully, fully immunised. And the what was that? Sorry? Two or 3% of the population oh. fully immunised. So it's a long way off. And you've got to be fully immunised because with these new variants, the Indian variant, I'm really not getting used to this alphabet of gamma, delta, kappa, but particularly the delta, I mean, these are very highly contagious and the first dose of the vaccine isn't as effective as it used to be. You've got to get to two doses to restore full effectiveness. And at current vaccination rates, when do you think we'll hit the target, say the 80% target? Inga Ting, who's um, you know the ABC's marvelous data journalist, one of that group, I think currently it's round about you know two or three weeks ago it was 
January 2023. Um, it's now creeping back into 2022, maybe August, September of 2022, if we don't lift significantly from where we are. And we will lift significantly from where we are. Probably it'll, it'll land somewhere like early 2022. Um, but they've really got to ramp up hugely. Yeah, and they're very low rate. So some of it is probably due to what's been termed vaccine hesitancy. What do you think's been driving vaccine hesitancy here? There's multiple factors driving vaccine hesitancy. And it's more simple. It's have I got access to the vaccine? Do I have to put myself out? If I make a phone call to a helpline, is it clogged? If I go into a website, does it crash? And you think, well, I'll just hang on. I can't be bothered. And for, for a lot of people who don't get vaccinated, it's life circumstances that stop them rather than any ideological or worry about that. So the first thing you've got to do is the vaccine's got to be hyper-available workplaces, the way we do with influenza, GPs, pharmacists, others. So there's no problem in getting it. You just walk in and get it easy peasy. Second reason is some people say, well, these vaccines have been hurried. We just want to wait and see how effective mm. they are. And the answer to that is 2 billion people, roughly, a little bit you know, less than that, have been immunized. We know more about these vaccines than we've known about any vaccine in history. So we know what the safety profiles are. And we know, yes, there is a problem with clotting with Astra in over 50s. It's about a rate of, imagine the MCG full of people, and about one and a half people in the MCG may develop a clot of this kind, the, the immune clot to the Astra vaccine. And the chances of dying of that immune clot are one person in 20 to 25 full MCGs. So that's the risk there. So it's real but small. Versus hotel quarantine risk of spread, if you come in negative and chances, you know, coming up positive, or a chance of a leak, I should say, is one in 172. We have an unsafe system protecting us and we can't have our borders closed forever. If it was me, I would just say, January 31st, we're opening for business and just watch the queues for vaccination. That will overwhelm most hesitancy. And if you have one message for the workers of Australia in relation to vaccination and COVID, what would it be? Our economy depends on being an open economy to the world. We are going to have to open up. How much do you want to be on edge the whole time about this? Let's get it done and get it over with. Thank you so much, Norman. You're welcome. Dr Norman Swan, and you can catch Norman on the podcast Coronacast each weekday. Professor Julie Leesk is an expert in vaccination uptake at the University of Sydney. I asked her if she expects a vaccine rollout will cause friction in workplaces. I think it's inevitable because vaccination is so key for Australia, for the nation, for communities and workplaces in terms of controlling COVID-19. It's not going away and therefore there are going to be people who are very feel very strongly about wanting to see others around them vaccinated. And yet there will be people who feel equally strongly that they should not be vaccinated. So it does, it's a topic that does create conflict. If you're a manager, Julie, what are some of the different ways to approach hesitant people versus refusers? And can you tell us about the difference? Yeah, this is a really important distinction. So, you know, if you imagine a spectrum of positions on vaccination from the anti-vaccination activists to just the people who don't want to be vaccinated and they're pretty fixed in their views, to the people who are saying, no, I'm not going to have a COVID vaccine right now, but maybe later, 
And then the people who are just really not sure about having one now and they're on the fence. And I call those people hesitant. You know, it's worth investing time in those people to help them get their questions answered, to encourage them to be good role models, because vaccination is important. We do need high vaccination rates, including in workplaces. Now, some places will be mandating vaccines. What's the worst thing a manager can say to someone who's either against or hesitant to get the COVID-19 vaccine? So when people are planning to not vaccinate, the worst thing you can do with them is to be really heavy handed with them and pressure them because sometimes that produces a backfire effect where they dig their heels in even more and they become even more against vaccination. So with those people, you just want to keep the conversation open, encourage them to vaccinate, offer them information, keep the sort of workplace norm being communicated that we would like our employees to be vaccinated, encourage people to let others know whether they've been vaccinated. Probably the worst thing you can do is to say you're irresponsible, you shouldn't be worried about the vaccines, they're safe, you know, you, you're going to put others at risk in that kind of combative way. There are much better ways to have that conversation. But with refusers, you've got to accept that in every workplace, there will be some people who just will not vaccinate. And there's not a lot you can do about that unless it eventually becomes mandatory in that workplace. So what do you think the best way is to approach a work colleague to get them over the line to get vaccinated? What have you found, Julie? So we've learned through quite a lot of research around conversations with parents who are hesitant about vaccinating their children that the following things can be very helpful. So first of all, you've got to know who you're talking to. Are you talking to someone who's fixed or someone who's just hesitant, not sure, doubting, and really um, just needs some support and encouragement. Once you know who you're talking to, you want to sort of mentally set a bit of a goal with yourself. So if someone's going to be against vaccination completely and they, you know, they might say things like, I've done my research or there's not enough safety testing and I don't think that, I think it's a bit of a conspiracy. You know that you're probably not going to encourage them to vaccinate just yet, but you might want to just agree to disagree and maybe revisit the conversation later. How do you feel about vaccination now, for example? But if somebody is on the fence, they're hesitant, they may be showing that they're in a dilemma, then it's worth just asking them a few more questions about where they're at, what sort of experiences and concerns that might feed into that hesitancy, and then to acknowledge them and validate them and their concern for their health, and then to encourage them, maybe help them find good quality information, or if you know the answer to a concern or if they're saying something that's not accurate, to let them know what your perspective is. And importantly, you can also encourage people to vaccinate. So I think it's okay for somebody, if they've built that kind of rapport where you've heard someone out and you've validated them, to say, I think vaccinating you know, against COVID is really important. Here's why I'm doing it or here's why I've done it already and here's what how I found the experience and the side effects and I'd love to see you vaccinated. So you want to approach it in a in a way that doesn't get that person's back up and then they just sort of dig in and become angry and defensive. 
I try not to debate people, but you know, I've had a few people kind of jump on my case about my choices and my my beliefs and things like that. And I think it kind of, you know, I'm a sensitive person. I do feel when people are giving me grief, and you know, I. But at the same time, I still think what I have to say is important, and I think there should be dialogue. I think there needs to be a conversation, and um, that's what humanity is. You know, we're people who who can talk about our fears and our choices and that's what makes us diverse. Musician Emily and vaccine whisperer Professor Julie Leesk. Now some US companies are offering incentives to employees who might be hesitant or simply unmotivated to get the COVID jab. Pay time off, bonuses, free transport, even donuts. But do these work? Financial incentives do help a lot of people, particularly people who are struggling and every dollar absolutely counts. And that actually is a key issue for many, many people. So if there are people who are not so keen on the vaccine or a bit frightened, a financial incentive will actually help. Epidemiologist Professor Richard Osborne from Swinburne University of Technology. But actually, if lots of people are taking on, oh, I'll have that incentive, I'll have have that few extra dollars and I'll get those dollars too. So it becomes a normative thing. People will just begin to follow. And that's a very, very good thing too. Now, for a lot of Australians, we don't really like to be told what to do. So what about um, getting a bit of peer pressure happening? What have you seen there? I think one of the most critical things is to really recognise who do people usually trust? Who do they usually get information from? Uh, what part of the sub-community are they from and actually respect their social networks and support their social networks to communicate within um, their, their own networks. So we have to respect the local ways in which people decide and understand things. And that's by what their peers are talking about, what they're talking about at, at the tea break, what they're talking about at dinner time. That's where the conversations are going to be the most important for people to move towards and plan for the vaccine and to keep themselves and their communities safe. So this is where we have to invest in. This is a bottom-up approach. So if the people around you and the people you respect are being involved, then you will follow too. So that's kind of the strongest pressure I can imagine if all the people around you who are like you are saying, oh, come on, let's all go down and get vaccinated today. And that's going to be very helpful, I think. Very, very helpful. What about directives from leaders? So much the top-down doesn't work. In many kind of settings that you may not know or never seen the company director, the leadership, they may be, from your perspective, the enemy. So a bottom-up approach is going to be far more important to reach a much larger proportion of Australians who are engaged, but also particularly many workers in quite fragile situations where they might, they can't afford to take a day off if they're on a casual situation. They're trying to get enough food on the table, trying to keep out of harm's way. And so having people like them and being supported by their immediate peers and their leaders to get the vaccine, maybe have half a day off or whatever, or to soldier on and feel a bit poorly, that's going to be seen to be a great thing and almost celebrated. Now to the legal landscape. What are employer and employee rights and responsibilities when it comes to getting the jab? 
Michael Burns is an employment and workplace safety specialist at Swab Lawyers. G'day, Michael. Hello, Lisa. Michael, so can employers mandate the COVID-19 vaccine and stand someone down who refuses to be vaccinated? There's no easy answer to that. It depends upon the circumstances. So employers have a right to give employees lawful and reasonable directions. In almost all cases, a direction to have a vaccination will be lawful. The real question is, is it going to be reasonable? That depends upon the nature of the business and also the nature of the work performed by the individual employee. Where there's a very high risk of COVID infection or where the risks could be catastrophic or very serious to the business or to the employer's undertaking, then that increases the likelihood the employer will be able to mandate employees have the vaccination. But it's going to turn on the circumstances of the case. So what about industries like the health industry and aged care? Do you think that that's more likely? Yes, yes. It's far more likely in those sorts of situations. An employer will be able to mandate vaccination. And indeed, there have been some recent Fair Work Commission cases in relation to flu vaccination, where the employer's right to mandate a flu vaccination in aged care and in health care was upheld. Now, there seems to be a little bit of a difference between the COVID vaccine and flu vaccines in terms of mandating. Can you tease this one out for us, Michael? Well, at this stage, there haven't been any cases relating to COVID vaccination. There have been some recent cases relating to flu vaccination. I think actually that the the employer's right to mandate COVID vaccination could be stronger. The prerogative could be stronger for COVID vaccination having regard to the highly infectious nature of the virus and the havoc, the damage that it's wreaked all over the world, the pandemic, which has caused all of these problems as part of the crisis. So I actually think the employer's prerogative might be stronger in relation to COVID vaccination than flu vaccination, but it remains to be seen legally because the relevant courts and tribunals in particular, the Fair Work Commission is yet to determine the issue. So it's it's yet to be tested. I did read somewhere about the efficacy of the COVID vaccine and therefore there might be a difference between that and the flu vaccine. Well... In terms uh, of then being able to say that it should be mandatory because actually you might still be able to pass it on. Yes, well, that, that's right. The ability of an employer to be able to mandate COVID vaccination will depend on, in part, one of the factors is going to be how effective it is as a control measure. So employers have a right to introduce various control measures to manage safety risks. Vaccination is just one of the control measures to address the risk of COVID-19. Others include social distancing, good hygiene, good cleaning regimes, etc. And so if the vaccine is found not to stop transmission from person to person, it's arguable then that its uh, lack of efficacy or this restriction in its efficacy limitation means that employers really shouldn't be mandating it, or it's an argument against mandating vaccination because it just isn't that effective as a control measure. That would be the argument. I think the science is out on that. I'm no scientist (laughs) in that regard, Lisa. But, but if, if it was found that it, that it really didn't stop transmission itself, then that might make it harder for employers to argue that it is imperative 
that employees be vaccinated in order to manage the COVID-19 safety risk. Uh, But do employers have a duty of care under workplace health and safety law to make sure that their workers are vaccinated to protect them? Well, certainly they have an obligation to create a safe place of work. And so if employees who are not vaccinated create a risk to other employees because, for instance, they can pass it on, then certainly that's going to be an argument in support of mandatory vaccination, COVID vaccination. And have people been stood down for refusing other vaccinations? Well, certainly people have been stood down for refusing flu vaccinations. And in fact, more than that, their employment's been terminated. Right. Those cases have been considered by the Fair Work Commission and those terminations were found to be fair. In fact, there have been three very recent cases all relating to flu vaccination in different contexts, one in the context of aged care, uh, another in the context of childcare. And the dismissals there were found to be fair. Now, of course, those cases turn on their own circumstances, but the principles are very likely to apply to COVID vaccination. It was also reported in April that some Victorian employees were stood down for refusing COVID vaccinations. And there's also an airline that is introducing a mandatory COVID policy. And I think that's becoming something of a, of a dispute as well. So that's the way it will play out where an employer will issue a direction for the employees to have a COVID vaccination. Some employees might refuse that. Then what will happen is the employees generally will be stood down or they'll take leave. They won't attend the workplace. There'll usually be a period of discussion, consultation. It may well be the employee will argue or state that they fall into one of the medical exceptions and the, the evidence around that will, will be considered. Then ultimately, if, if the stalemate continues, then employment will be terminated. And that's where, or li- it'll likely be that employment will be terminated. And that's where the, the sort of rubber hits the road. And if the employee brings unfair dismissal proceedings, for instance, the Fair Work Commission then needs to consider uh, whether or not the employer acted appropriately, including, crucially, whether the direction for the employee to have Uh, the COVID vaccination was lawful and reasonable, in particular reasonable in the circumstances. And let's flip it a little bit. So can an employee refuse to come to work if a colleague hasn't been vaccinated? It's unlikely. It's unlikely. It's only if they are able to argue on an objective basis that their risk, their health and safety was at real risk because their colleague wasn't vaccinated. So if they were able to present evidence that there was a very high risk of COVID infection in the particular work environment in which they're in, and that an employee, a colleague, fellow employee not being vaccinated could then present to them a real risk of them getting COVID-19 itself. I've got another one for you. You ready? Yes. (laughs) Say you own a business like you're a hairdresser. Can you refuse service to someone who hasn't been vaccinated, Michael? Do you think? Well, that, that's an interesting question. So whether or not someone's vaccinated is not of itself a protected attribute under discrimination law. So it's not like gender or race or sexual orientation or the like. One issue that might arise is this, that there might be some members of a protected uh, or a group has a protected attribute like those with a disability 
who for some medical reason might not be able to be vaccinated and therefore it makes it more likely that they can't comply with that condition of entry being vaccination than those who don't fall within that particular uh, protected attribute, having that disability, which means they can't be vaccinated. And then the test becomes, is that condition reasonable for entry? So the business there would need to show that there was some health or safety imperative behind denying entry for someone who hasn't been vaccinated. So in a direct sense, no, but there is this notion of indirect discrimination and I could see how an argument might be constructed in that regard in relation to someone uh, who hasn't been vaccinated. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you, Lisa. Specialist in Employment and Workplace Safety Law, Michael Burns. So we hope we've given you the tools to deal with this potential landmine at work. If you have a friend who's on the fence, please send them this episode. And if you haven't already, subscribe. Make hearing us ridiculously easy. This Working Life is produced by Maria Tickle, who's still wearing her vaccination sticker. I'm Lisa Leong. And until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.